welcome back to D&C in 23. It is just me, just Dave today, uh, but don't worry. Alex will be back for the next episode that we record from the show that we're going to in Raleigh, North Carolina together. But let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's recap Charlotte, North Carolina from Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, before we precap. Uh, the Raleigh, North Carolina show that's coming on Thursday, June 1st. Let's get on with the show. This was the fourth time playing the PNC Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina. PNC is a good spot. If you've never been or if you have a show upcoming there, rest easy. It's a good spot. The traffic flow getting in is a little difficult, but once you're in, the amount of entrances to the venue, the security lines, and honestly, the exit plan to get people out of that area are all really, really well done and really, really well designed. So a shout out to the designers, the city planners, if you will, for the PNC venue and parking situation and all that stuff. The PNC venue in Charlotte was was well-equipped to handle the many, many, many people that showed up. And that's not a knock on the um, Solaris Amphitheater in Lakewood for Atlanta, but it seemed that this went a little more smooth here in Charlotte. Uh, The last time out was Sunday, May 28th in Atlanta, where they treated us to a absolutely perfect show and perfect second set. We were fortunate enough to be at that one, and then I was fortunate enough to follow them up up I-20 and I-77 up to Charlotte. We learned from the boots on the ground um, that it was a little rainy before the show. Um, When we were driving up, hit a couple showers, um, no like severe storms or anything like that, but a couple different spurts of rain showers. until about start time of the show. And then the rain held out and it ended up being a beautiful night. Um, the band seemed to address this little pre-show rain with some songs in their set list, uh, which we will talk about right now. So they started right after seven, um, you know, tried to get there in time it. So we were there right at 7 PM and, and we weren't waiting long for them to come on. And, I'll read all of set one before I talk about it. Shakedown Street into Cold Rain and Snow, Loser, Dire Wolf, Loose Lucy, The Wheel, Bertha, and then Let It Grow to close set one. The Shakedown opener, I was one for one at that point with Estimated Profits game. I was feeling pretty good. Um, The Shakedown was nice. The crowd loved it. They were into it. And, uh, I mentioned last time that's one of Gabby's favorites and so I was happy that they played that for her to hear and enjoy as well. Like I said they seem to take into account uh, the weather that came beforehand and cold rain and snow came next. I was pleasantly surprised when they rolled into cold rain and snow uh, for two reasons. One it's one of my favorite set one songs so that was obviously pleasant for me to hear. Second is that this is the exact same combo shakedown into cold rain and snow that started the tour opener back in the first night of the LA shows. I thought that was interesting that they kept that formula. Uh, Hey, clearly it's working. So 
if it ain't broken, it's working that well. Leave it be. The Cold Rain and Snow did have impressive guitar work from Bob, and Mare attacking it vocally was was nice to hear. Loser was next. Um, that's one of my favorite songs that I had never heard live, so that was a good one to check off the box. And then there was the solo in the middle, um, and my co-host Alex has used the analogy before of like a spaceship where one part of the spaceship gets you up and then it detaches and lets the next part kind of launch in. Well, this was a three-part spaceship where John Mayer really built up the solo pretty nice. He launched it into Kementi, who started going nuts on the keys. And then Kementi slid up and allowed Mayer to go right back into just an even, even more of a pinnacle of a guitar solo. Um, so that moment in the middle was just beautiful to hear. And it was a really, really strong start. And after those three songs, they took a little bit of a pause. Um, I believe Bob changed guitars. And I thought maybe after that, maybe a little slower song was coming out next. And I was very wrong. And that's a good thing. They played a quick, fast tempo direwolf um, that was reminiscent of like pre-hiatus speedy direwolves and based on the piano solo that took place in this direwolf i think it's fair to question whether we call this band dead and company or Kementi and company my gosh he just he was relentless all night but in particular on this direwolf loose lucy comes next just a good fun song to dance to um not a song that i would have ever put on my like want list like i'd want to hear this but i'm so glad i did glad that they played this for the first time this year and uh we got the people to dance to it after loose lucy they were really playing around with like a jazz theme and i really didn't know what they were gonna go into normally when they just kind of noodle noodle around like that they do go into trucking i've noticed that the last few times they played trucking there's been like a jazz forward intro for one and a half to two minutes and so i thought maybe there was a chance that they did that but then they went into the wheel and i was just blown away that it's set one and we're hearing the wheel they did like a jam intro to the wheel and this was like the most jazz forward and upbeat wheel that dead and company has put on i mean they were really really pushing the pace of it and really getting after it. And then about three quarters of the way through the song, they switched to like a swing time outro where the rhythm section completely changed gears and Mare was just on it with them immediately. It was a really, really cool wheel and very unique, both where it sits in the set list midway through set one and then just the style of playing that they did with the wheel. The whole crowd was into it. I was into it. It was it was fascinating, both from a surprise perspective and then a musical perspective. I talked earlier about how the rain had factored into the set list. It wasn't just for the cold rain and snow um, as the second song. It was kind of for this three-part outro. I can't call it a weather report suite proper, but you've got the wheel with the line, if the thunder don't get you, then the lightning will. Up next, you have Bertha. Um, it was very, very cool to hear Bertha this late in set one. 
um, but you've got that line ran into a rainstorm and then it was all night pouring pouring rain but not a drop on me so that was kind of neat that they were factoring the rain into the set list or so it seemed uh, and then we closed the set with let it grow literally the last song of the weather report suite and this let it grow was just top notch uh this is one of my one of my favorites especially the post hiatus and especially 1980s like crunchy rock riff that they put on the end of this song is one of my favorite jams of the grateful dead so as soon as they went into let it grow i just had a huge smile on my face i was so ready for what was going to come but i enjoyed the journey along the way too uh, I can't call them bombs, but O'Teal Ordinances, I think is what I'll call them. I've never heard him be so loud on the bass before, and I loved it. I I wish he would do it more often, uh, and I got my wish later in set two, but he was just, just throwing out loud high notes on the bass left and right, and it sounded so good. Kementi powered through the first break where they do go into the that like rock riff um near the end so much so that like really the only people that i could hear were commenting the drummers uh which was fine it's it sounded good um and then they went back into the chorus one more time and then they really went into like a proper outro where everybody was playing that rock riff to end let it grow had the red and yellow lights spinning around in the light show with that it was it was magical and they did it so well. I'm so thankful that I got to see that let it grow. It was excellent. The set break was, it felt fairly short. Um, it was almost 30 minutes exactly. So that was kind of nice. And after the set break, there were like pink red lights shining from the stage when the band came on. So in my head, I thought, well, hey, that kind of looks like the color Scarlet. You know, are they about to go into Scarlet Begonias? They did not. Here's what they went into for set two. Help on the way into Slipknot into Franklin's Tower. A standalone fire on the mountain. The other one into drums, into space. Back into the other one, a reprise. Into Black Peter. Into Sugar Magnolia. And then an encore of U.S. Blues. Again, in my head, I was prepared for Scarlet Begonias, and then those first notes that I love of Help on the Way dropped in, and I was so excited. I was so pumped. Mare was cooking on the Help, but O'Teal was cooking even more. Um, like I said, he was loud for that Let It Grow to end it, and, and he stayed loud for basically all of set two. The Slipknot was very rock heavy kind of unlike set one which seemed a little more jazz heavy the slipknot was rocking uh and then the franklin's tower that came next franklin's tower is my favorite grateful dead song so i will always love basically any version of this song that's played but with this song i mean when they went into the first what i would normally say area for a guitar solo instead Comenti just decided this is my time and I'm going to show you all who's boss. How long do you think a key solo in Franklin's Tower can go for? Two minutes? Three minutes? Four minutes? Guess again. This was like a six-minute key solo where Kementi just fucking lit the place on fire. I mean, he did not stop going crazy. The entire time John Mayer is just looking at him with 
awe and admiration and that little bromance that they have. The drummers just kept it going quick to keep him going. Man, the key solo in that Franklin's Tower just blew me away. And then after that, they wound it down and I heard the notes of fire and I had a little cognitive dissonance in my brain because I thought, if anything, we would hear a scarlet fire. But no, just a standalone, fun, bouncy fire on the mountain. O'Teal sounded awesome on the mic. And then as they moved into the other one, O'Teal sounded even better on the bass. I've never heard him do the charge into the other one. Dead & Company seems to kind of wade in a little slower and take their time. But man, O'Teal just roared them in after about a minute of kind of soft jamming with the other one theme. O'Teal just put the gas pedal all the way down and said, no, I'm, I'm coming in hot and heavy a la Primal Dead in the 60s. And there were just red lights all over the stage and it was... It was a good other one. It kind of like the Slipknot. It was very rock forward. I mean, not a lot of jazz in there. Just real good stuff with the other one. Drums came next, and this is the most dancing I've ever done during a Drums in Space. This was such a cool experience with these drums. Mickey came off the drum set, and instead of like turning to the enormous display of every every piece of percussion you could think of he came down to the front of the stage where they had wheeled out this curved marimba and he was going heavy on the marimba which gave the drums kind of a kind of like an asian influence theme and then O'Teal came out with this banjo bass that he sometimes busts out and man, what he and Mickey, how they were going back and forth with the marimba and the banjo bass. Uh, the entire time Jay Lane stayed on his drum set proper, he wasn't up doing weird stuff with the drums behind him either. He was actually keeping time with the cymbal and then going into little tom rolls. And, and they were just grooving so much that this was like a good jam to dance to. O'Teal started to sing his bass part near the end, which got really weird and really exciting. And then Mickey went to the beam and I thought, okay, space is about to start. Um, and he went to the beam and then O'Teal went back to the drums and then the three of them were back there behind the drum sets pounding away. So drums went on for like another five minutes after I thought space had started, which was really, really fun to listen to and be like, oh man, they're still going. Um, and then Mickey walked over to the beam a second time and got us back into space proper uh, which was good and then from space they really did a good job kind of lifting the other one back from the ashes and and getting back into it the reprise was a little slower but i want to shout out that on both the the pre-drums other one and then the post-drums one too bob just sounded so good on the mic i don't know what he's been doing this tour but his vocals have been about as good as it gets for him so i just wanted to shout that out Oh, Mickey also blew the crowd a kiss to end space, and that was that got a huge roar, and everybody really appreciated that. From the other one, they went into Black Peter, um, a pretty slow tempo and like really wound down Black Peter. Admittedly, this is when I started to leave the venue, um, had a little bit of uh, residual trauma from the experience trying to get out of the Lakewood 
uh, scene in, in Atlanta. So with about a 90 minute drive ahead of me, I wanted to kind of beat the traffic out. Um, but I kept my windows rolled down and, he, and I heard them roll from Black Peter into Sugar Mag as I drove away. Um, and it sounded like they got that transition pretty good. Um, but man, the Franklin's Tower key solo in set two, and it's... It's an interesting show that even when all the music is good, I'm shouting out of drums in space, but those drums were easily the best drums I've ever heard, and some of the best I've heard Dead & Company put out in their time together. But yeah, that was this Charlotte show. I, It's kind of like they tailored the set list to me, I mean, with a, a loser, a Bertha, Let It Grow, and of course a Help Slip Frank, I, I mean all songs that I love and I just I really really thankful that I got to see an awesome Sunday show in Atlanta that I think objectively is going to be viewed as one of their better outputs of their entire tour and then I got to see subjectively a a show that really resonated with me and and was really kind of tailored to to my ears so just so appreciative Um, and just a plug to you know Go out and see them if you can, because maybe you'll get as fun of experience as I had in Charlotte. But that's the May 30th show in Charlotte. The band's next show is Thursday, June 1st in Raleigh, North Carolina, where you will find both Alex and I. One of us will be wearing the Working Man's Pod shirt, the company shirt. So if you see that logo, come and come and say hi and uh, come poke around with us. And before you do that, if you'd like to play Estimated Profits with us, Drop us a note on Twitter at WorkingMansPod, Instagram at WorkingMans underscore pod, or send us an email at WorkingMansPod at gmail.com. As a quick reminder, the highest scorer at the end of the summer wins some stuff. And I can tell you that some of the stuff we picked up from the the Atlanta shakedown, you're going to want that. So keep those guesses coming in. Um, We had a lot of people uh, hit both their guesses in the Charlotte show. A lot of people guessed the wheel and they hit on that. And then we saw some Franklin's guesses, some Shakedown guesses, some Bertha guesses. And a lot of people, I think that last night's show was the the highest uh, batting average, if you're, if you're a baseball person, um, of collectively the entire group guessing. So people scored well last night. But what do you think that they are going to play in Raleigh? But first, you've got to hear what we think they're going to play in Raleigh. I have the first pick. Alex had it last time. I think that they're going to play a song that lets Mare go nuts, a song that they have played only once uh, in the tour opener back in L.A. I think it's time that they are going to bring Sugaree to the East Coast. So Sugaree is my first guess. Alex had the next two guesses. He texted me both of them. His first guess is Promised Land. Makes sense. The second lyric in that song is I straddled that greyhound and rode him into Raleigh and all across Caroline. So Alex is going for the little hometown shout out there. And then he is willing into existence with his second pick. He wants to see a dark star. So Alex has taken Promised Land and Dark Star as his two. For me, I'm going to I'm going to go with a song that they haven't played yet this tour, thinking maybe they'll bust it out here in Raleigh, and that's Dancing in the Street. So my two are Sugary Dancing in the Street, Alex has Promised Land and Dark Star. What do you have? 
let us know again twitter instagram or send us an email workingmanspod at gmail.com that will do it for this episode of dnc in 23 with half of wp and you'll get the whole the whole gang back on friday june 2nd to talk about the thursday june 1st show in raleigh thanks for joining us and until next time know our love will not fade away (laughs) 